And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. Comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Dan Derrier stars as the man from Homicide in a great detective adventure from 1951. Then Eve Arden stars in part one of a comedy installment of Our Miss Brooks from 1948. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. What's going on, Dimply? All good. What's going on? I'm doing well. We're going to start things off with The Man from Homicide. This was a detective adventure. Now, Charles McGraw starred as Lieutenant Lou Dana of the Homicide Division. But by the second season, McGraw was replaced by film actor Dan Duryea. It ran one season in 1950 as a summer replacement for Inner Sanctum on ABC. Lieutenant Dana had a reputation for playing rough and often apprehending killers single-handedly and at great personal peril. Produced and directed by Helen Mack of Let's Pretend fame and Dwight Hauser. Casts included Joan Banks, Larry Dobkin, Lamont Johnson, Arthur Q. Bryant, and Tony Barrett. Writers included Louis Vittes and Dick Powell. Yes, Dick Powell from Richard Diamond Private Detective fame. It's time now for the Lucille Forbes case from September 17, 1951, starring Dan Duryea in The Man from Homicide. The Man from Homicide. According to Webster's Dictionary... Homicide is the killing of one human being by another. According to Lieutenant Lou Dana... It's the beginning of a dirty, dangerous job that doesn't end until the killer's found. I don't like killers. Every week at this time, the American Broadcasting Company presents transcribed the star of stage and screen, Dan Durier, as Lieutenant Lou Dana, the man from Homicide. To a cop in homicide, the dead aren't much help. They don't do much except lay there and bleed. After they've bled enough, they die and get cold. And unless you get on it, the trail of the killer gets cold, too. Every second from the moment of the violent act on, the trail of the killer gets colder and colder. She wasn't cold when I got to the ladies' lounge of the local theater. She was still warm and beautiful. No, she wasn't cold, but she was all through bleeding. They bleed out fast with the wrist cut. Her identification said she was Lucille Forbes. I wondered who killed her. She didn't seem to care, the dead being pretty much unconcerned with how they got that way. Looks to me like you got the killer's name right on that card, Lou. Meaning? Lucille Forbes. Why? Oh, slashed wrists. 
Probably broke up with her boyfriend. She sure did, Pappy. The hard way. Well, it happens. Boyfriend gives her a sweet line. She finds out it wasn't for real. Can't take it. Suicide. Not this time. Well, how come not? You'll never get on the radio, Pappy. Not as a private eye. No? <laughs> I bet I could replace the fat man. Stick of gum, Pappy? Uh-uh. Are you seen a people die violently, Dave? Well, so? They don't do it gently, even if they want to die. They lose consciousness, and then the death spasms start. The blood doesn't run out of the wrists in two neat pools. It spatters things up. Oh, yeah, I see. And she didn't cause no fuss. Well, what's it mean? Only one way she could die that easy with her wrist cut. Yeah? Drugged. Have the lab boys run a test. I had an address from her purse where she'd lived when she was alive. I went there. $65 apartment with a Murphy bed. Mediocre neighborhood. Too expensive for a shop girl. Not good enough for a um, shop-worn girl. Oh, why didn't you use your key? I was asleep. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, now listen, you don't give me any lip. Who are you? Who are you expecting? Lucille, I thought she forgot her key. Otherwise, I wouldn't open the door. You would have. Glance. Cop? Dana, Lou Dana, homicide. Homicide? Somebody dead? Lots of people. What's your name? Uh, Daryl McKay. Don't wait up for Lucille, Daryl. Why? You, you mean she's... She's dead. Dead? Oh, gee, I... Oh, you're kidding, aren't you? Because I she... got better material for comedy. She's dead. Somebody killed her? Maybe. Who? I mean, you know who? Do you? Oh, Where listen. were you, say, at nine o'clock? Uh, the circus. I hear it's in town. How long? For a week, I think. How long were you there? Oh, well, I, I just got back here maybe 40 minutes ago. You see, she told me to come in and wait in case I got back first. And This was only our third date. And your fourth one is still with me at headquarters. It occurred to me that the boyfriend would hardly have much motive for murder if he'd only known her a week, and he'd be the kind of a guy who'd have to have motive. Not a psycho, this guy. I had the boy start a check to find out if he was lying. I was afraid he wasn't. Dave came in with a report from the autopsy. Cause of death? Loss of blood due to slashed wrists. Yeah. Afraid that shoots your theory, son. Cause of death may have been loss of blood, all right, but what was the cause of the loss of blood? Ah. Never mind. Let's see the report. Yeah, sure. You know, I still think I'm right. Jilted girlfriend can't take it. Suicide. You didn't read far enough in this report, Pappy. Huh? Listen. While immediate cause of death has been determined as being due to severe loss of blood... Yeah. Tests of the victim's stomach show strong concentrate of pheno and sufficient quantity to invoke extremely deep sleep bordering on coma. Uh, See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but sleep and death, that's two different things, Lou. But related, maybe. How do you figure? A person who's sound enough asleep might not object too much to being murdered. This is so pat, Lou. Now I tell you, jilted girl. Jilted, maybe. But there are a lot of ways to jilt a girl, and one of them is to kill her. At the end of the second day, the routine began to sift out. The boyfriend seemed clear. We had it from the landlord that Lucille Forbes had taken the apartment only a week before. 
Daryl McKay, the boyfriend, had a bachelor up on the floor above. The check on the girl wasn't going so well. Telling you, Lou, that girl was a gypsy. Meaning? Always on the move. Before the last place, she lived on Harper Street, two weeks. Before that, a middle-class hotel up on the Heights. Out of town for a month before then, and then two months in a place in the 50s, out on Carlisle. How transient. Nobody at any of these places knew her much. She seemed to stay alone most of the time, had a few boyfriends, nothing on any of them. Who was she, Dave? Well, I can't find out. Like I said, Lou, nobody knew her. Papers that run stories on her, haven't they? Sure. Anything? Nothing. Now, what about that boyfriend? No, he's got Ringling Brothers for an alibi. Any of the papers run pictures? No, no, no. We couldn't find any. Except for that post-mortem stuff, and that's never any good for identification. No, but without pictures, one thing is obvious. Yeah, what? Phony name. Otherwise, friends or relatives would have made inquiry from the news breaks. Uh, seems like. Better check missing person. Yeah. Dana here. Yeah. That's right. Sure, shoot. What? When? Great. Get it over here right away. Yeah, maybe the break we've been waiting for. Thanks. What? The mailman. Huh? I hear he always rings twice. This time, maybe once will be enough. Will you please talk sense? The boys we had on the apartment, they picked up a letter. Yeah, for who? For Lucille Forbes. They're bringing it over right away. Yeah, probably a bill. Maybe, and maybe not. Also, maybe it'll have a return address. It's not at all like it is in the movies. Cops and homicide aren't storybook sleuths who walk in and break cases by master deduction. No, in homicide, you wait. After a while, the routine starts sifting in. You get a little here, a little there, and soon you put it together. Sometimes it adds up to an answer. We just had a real fine assist from the U.S. mail. Listen to this, Dave. Yeah. So we're hoping you'll come home. I know you feel humiliated. I know it will be hard, but when there's trouble like you've had, you ought to be close to those who love you. Forget the past and come home. All my love, your dad. Uh, too bad. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. Better make arrangements to send her home. Yeah. Body to be claimed by your father, Elmer Brown, 5432 Pine Avenue, Hopeville, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, I'll take care of it right away. And get two tickets on the first plane that'll put us down closest to Hopeville, Dave. Two. Can't you tell him by yourself? Sure. Only who can tell what a cop might find out while he's telling a father that his daughter's been murdered? Uh, well? It's, uh, it's a lousy job. Yeah. Gotta be, though. Want me to knock? Sure. Uh. Yes? Your name Brown? Yes. My name's Dana. Howdy. I'm a policeman. A policeman? Well, come in. Thanks. This is uh, Dave Myers. Policeman, too? Policeman. Well, I, I don't know why you're here, but... Uh, you, uh, I... 
You got a daughter, Mr. Brown. Goes by the name of Lucille Forbes. Yes, that's right. The real name's Lucy Brown. But she changed it when she was trying to get into the pictures. An actress? No, no, just pretty. Won a local beauty contest. And newspaper guys filled her head with crazy ideas. She tried it out there in Hollywood. But she wasn't no actress. She... Wait a minute. She... She ain't in trouble, is she? She... She done something, I mean? You, you said you were a policeman. Mr. Brown, I've had to do this maybe a couple of hundred times in my life. And I've still never figured out a good way. Good way? For what? To tell a person that somebody they love is dead. Lucy. You, you mean Lucy? My, my Lucy is, is... Dead, Mr. Brown. I'm sorry. No. Oh, oh no. How? Well, according I... to the autopsy, she died of extreme loss of blood. Oh. Wrists were slashed. Oh, no. Some of the boys in the bureau figured looks pretty much like suicide. Yes. Yes, I I can understand. What do you mean? Oh, she she felt so bad. She didn't seem to care about anything after she things went wrong with her and Blankford. Blankford? Harrison Blankford, the movie actor. When when she first went to Hollywood, she she fell in love with him. They were going to be married. And at least she thought they were. Then I, I guess he was through with her. She never was the same after that, brooding and crying to herself all the time. Oh, I, I wish she'd have listened to me. I wish she'd have stayed here with me. <laughs> Maybe I could have kept her. <laughs> the body's being sent here to you, Mr. Brown. We won't bother you with any more questions now. Later, when you feel better, I'd like to question you thoroughly. Question me? About what? Well, I'm not one of the boys that thinks it was suicide. What? I may be wrong, but I've got other ideas. We'll see you later. Come on, Dave. Yeah. Well, son, looks like I was right. Even the father thinks so. But I don't. Well, what are you going to do now? I thought we might take a little trip to Hollywood. Uh, I wouldn't if I were you. Why not? Oh, you'll never make an actor, son. Oh, don't be so sure. I might get a part playing a hard-boiled cop. Ah, too much competition. Like who? Oh, Cagney, Bogart, Durier. You'd never stand a chance against them. I don't know. They're not so great. Anyhow, I still want to go to Hollywood. Why? I want to know how long it's been since Harrison Blankford saw Lucille Forbes and why he threw her over. Dave and I went to Hollywood. Not to make a picture, but to get a picture. A clearer picture of the ill-fated romance between Lucille Forbes and Harrison Blankford. After all the swashbuckling parts he played, I'd expected Mr. Blankford to greet me with a sword in his hand. I was wrong. He was concerned with another matter. Dave and I could see in from the large windows alongside the front door. Hey. Beautiful, isn't she? Nice paint job, at any rate. Uh, 
Maybe we shouldn't disturb him. Why not? Well, looks like he's got his hands full. Ring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Startled him. Guy doesn't like to have his work interrupted. Yes? Good evening, Mr. Blankford. Who, uh, what do you want? Well, let's say, uh, we're fans of yours. Fans? Oh, now, see here. I don't object to signing autographs, but in my own home, can't I have any privacy? Only place I'd be interested in your autograph would be on a police plotter. What? I'm a homicide cop. I'm fresh out of bodies. I wouldn't say that. Were you two looking through the window? Yeah, we're <laughs> rude. Why don't you invite us in? Why should I? So you can tell me something about Lucille Forbes? What about Lucille Forbes? She's dead. Come in. Thanks. This is Dave Myers. I uh, sort of bring him along for ballast. He should do nicely for that. Honey, whatever's the matter? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. Bit of unpleasantness. These men are policemen. Mr. Myers, Miss Sandra Martin. How do you do? And uh, I don't believe I got your name. I didn't give it, but it's Dana, Lou Dana. Miss Martin, Mr. Dana. Hello. Hello, Miss Martin. You want to talk to me? Would you mind, darling? Of course. I'll wait. It's okay. She can hear. But I'd rather she... I'd rather she stayed. Might be interesting to her. Mr. Blackford, how well did you know Lucille Forbes? Very well. You asked her to marry you? I did. And then you ran out on her. Is that right? That's a matter of opinion. Harrison, surely you don't have to stand for this kind of treatment. Miss Martin, a girl has been murdered. I'm sorry if the questions hurt your boyfriend's feelings, but somebody hurt Lucille Forbes' feelings, too. Mr. Dana, when did Miss Forbes die? Last Monday night, between 8 and 10 o'clock. Well, then I think I can relieve your mind. Do. You apparently seem to think I had something to do with her death, but it happens that last Monday night I finished a public appearance tour. My new picture opened, and I made a P.A. at the Crown Theater. You see, I wasn't even in Hollywood. Miss Martin can substantiate my statement. She made the trip with me. Thank you very much, Mr. Blankford. Thank you very much. Perfectly all right, Mr. Dana. Sorry I couldn't have been of some help to you. Oh, you've been a help, a great help. I, I don't understand. Well, you see, Lucille Forbes died in the ladies' lounge of the Crown Theater last Monday night. What? I remember now. The picture was a premiere, but I hadn't thought about you being there. Thanks for reminding me. We parked half a block down the street. Three hours. Nothing. Dave ran true to form. Twenty minutes after we stopped, he was in the arms of Morpheus. He had a smile on his face. It occurred to me that he probably figured he was in the arms of Sandra Martin. I envied Dave. My trouble was that I couldn't sleep well with a death on my mind. After a while, the yard lights went on at Harrison Blankford's house. I woke up Dave. 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 Wake up. Wake up. We're getting action. Oh, just what I was... Blankford's pulling out. Maybe taking the lady home. That'll be very foolish of him. Quiet. Yeah. Stay on him, Dave. I'm going calling. Right. Meet you at the hotel later. Okay, son. Now, be careful. Whoever caught a killer being careful. So long, Pappy. It was a real nice neighborhood. Movie colony stuff. Well-groomed lawns, rich houses. A long way from a girl dying in the public lounge of a movie house. 
But murder isn't conscious of neighborhoods. Naturally, Blankford's door was locked. I got a thing for locks. The fourth one fitted. I felt more at home with Blankford gone. Where do you look? In a house this big, where do you look? When you don't know what you're looking for. I started at the desk. Harrison Blankford was an orderly man. I wondered where he'd file evidence. I didn't find out, but I kept looking. That's the first portion of The Man from Homicide. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to The Man from Homicide. I had a good hour and a half. I knew Harrison Blankford pretty well by then, but useless information. I didn't know any more about Lucille Forbes' killer. Then I found it. I opened an old memento book and found it. Marriage license. Lucy Brown to Henry Forbes. Yuma, Arizona, October 12, 1950. It had pictures of flowers and angels around the border. And at the bottom it said, until death do us part. It was rain. Enjoying my papers, Mr. Dana. Why, you... Uh, you surprised me. Your man didn't know the streets very well. I was able to lose him. How fortunate for you. And unfortunate for you, Mr. That's Dana. That's a matter of opinion, Mr. Ford. I see you found the marriage license. Yeah. Explains a lot of things. Secretly married to Lucille Forbes, in love with Sandra Martin. Lucille wasn't giving you a divorce. Lucille is murdered in a theater where you were appearing. She's dead. You're free. Free to marry Sandra. Only thing is, they don't hold much for weddings at San Quentin. Very interesting. But you're wrong. I didn't kill her. A jury will decide that with this evidence. A jury won't get the evidence. Explain. Thing like this could ruin my career. Sure didn't do Lucille Forbes' career any good. Naturally, I'm terribly sorry about Lucille, but the marriage was a mistake. She should have given me a divorce. Sandra and I both begged her. No, Mr. Dana, I didn't kill her. But I have no intention of letting you ruin me by presenting that marriage license in a court. And just how do you intend stopping me? First, I'm going to take it away from you. Then I'm going to thrash you within an inch of your life. You're gonna what? In your business, I believe they'd say... Work you over. <laughs> you started believing the parts you play. I don't use stand-ins, Mr. Dana. I'm a good athlete and I'm in good condition. Then you better keep that way. In homicide, we don't do our fighting for a camera. We do it for keeps. Sounds like fun. Take my advice, Blankford. Don't tangle with me. That face of yours is worth too much to you. Only be good for horror films after I get through with you. I can't believe it. You're either a better actor than I thought, or you're crazy enough to try to take me. I'll try. You'll be sorry, but come on. I am. <clears throat> neat. That's a good left hook. It always looked good on the screen. I didn't think it was real. Try the right. <clears throat> Looks like business. Okay, we get a few lessons in homicide, too. <clears throat> no, you... <clears throat> No. 
happened? There was a fight. Yeah, so I see. With him? With me. Who won? We both lost. No. No, you won. You've still got the marriage license. With your pal and his gun there, I guess you'll keep it. I'll keep it. Go ahead and use it. All you'll do is ruin my career. But you'll never prove that I killed Lucy because I didn't. I never thought you did. Uh, what? No man could have. Uh-huh. Getting back to my theory. Suicide, Lou? Nope. But you just said no man could have killed her. That's what I meant. Ever try getting into the ladies' lounge of a moving picture theater? I did A dame. Another dame. Another dame. But not just any dame. A specific dame. Your dame, Harrison. Sandra? You can't mean Sandra. I do. Why, that's absurd. Is it? Listen. She was with you when you made that P.A. She knew you were married to Lucy Brown. She knew Lucy wouldn't give you a divorce. You told me you'd both begged her. Yes, but... More. She's in love with you. You promised to marry her when you're rid of Lucy, right? Well, yes, but that... Well, you're rid of Lucy. She's sort of that. You're only guessing. Maybe, maybe not. But my guesses are usually right. Now, let's all go over to her house and see if her guesses are right. It's utterly absurd, darling, but Mr. Dana wants to ask you some questions. It's about... I'll tell her what it's about. Murder, Miss Martin. Know anything about murder? Uh... I don't know what you mean. Okay, I'll draw your blueprint. The murder of Lucy Brown in the ladies' lounge of the Crown Theater. Are you insinuating that I would know anything about it? Just who did it, that's all. Mr. Dana, you're ridiculous. And you're a killer. I don't like killers. You better have some proof for such accusations. How's this? Ever take sleeping pills, Miss Martin? Sometimes. Why? Look around, Dave. See if you can find any. Right, son. You needn't bother. There's... Half a bottle in my medicine chest. And where's the other half? I've taken them over a period of weeks. You took them or you slipped them to Lucy Brown? How could I? You were with Blankford for that P.A. at the Crown Theater. Now listen. Early in the evening, you went to see Lucy. You asked her again to divorce him. She refused. You had coffee together. You doped hers. Then you tailed her. She went to the Crown Theater for another look at the man she loved. Sometime during the evening, she got sick and drowsy. She went to the lounge. It'd be empty. People wouldn't pay top price to see Harrison Blankford in person and spend their time in the lounge. Inside, she passed out into a deep sleep. You slashed her wrists to make it look like suicide. Only you slipped up. Sandra, of course, I don't believe any of this, but tell him. Tell him Be quiet, Harrison. He's bluffing. Am I? You smoke, Miss Martin? Certainly. I thought so. Ever see this, Mr. Blankford? Cigarette case? Elgin American. Pretty, isn't it? You've seen it before, haven't you? I... On the inside, there's some engraving. Real intimate kind. It just says from H to S. Could that mean from Harrison to Sandra? Yes, I gave it to her. You admit it's yours, Miss Martin? Yes, it's mine. It is mine. What of it? I found it lying alongside Lucy Brown's body. It was a little way off, so it didn't get any blood on it. Not nearly as much as you got on your hands, Sandra. Oh, no. Not nearly as much of her blood as ran out on the floor. Oh, Not no. nearly. All right. I did it. I killed her. I killed her, and I'm glad. She was trying to keep him from me. I killed her. I killed her. Oh. Sandra. Mm, that's a pretty good confession. Three witnesses. 
Well, Pappy, what do you think of your suicide theory now? Well, oh, it wasn't fair. You didn't tell me about finding that cigarette case beside the girl's body. I didn't find it there. What? I found it between the sofa cushions when I was going through your house, Mr. Blankford. I put it in my pocket. I thought it might come in handy. I think it did. Sandra Martin was booked for the murder of Lucy Brown. She died after a while in the electric chair and in the end was just as dead as the girl she killed. Harrison Blankford, a matinee idol with a walloping left hook, would go on making pictures and be more popular than ever with women because one woman had killed another woman for his affections. And Lucy Brown would be buried in a plot of ground in Hopeville, Indiana. They might put on her tombstone that this little girl with stars in her eyes found out that in Hollywood they paint him on blue canvas. At best, she'd never see him again. Or the rings. At least not the way we see him. Sandra Martin had seen to that. I don't like killers. You have just heard another transcribed program in a series starring Dan Durier as The Man from Homicide, with Larry Dobkin as Dave. Mr. Durier can soon be seen starring in Chicago Calling. In tonight's cast, you heard Ralph Moody as Mr. Brown, Kay Stewart as Sandra, and Howard Culver as Blankfort. Music was by Basil Adlam. The Man from Homicide was created by Lou Bitties, directed by Dwight Hauser. Be with us again next week, same time, over most of these same ABC stations to hear Dan Durier as The Man from Homicide. Orville Anderson speaking. This program came to you from Hollywood. America is sold on ABC, the American broadcasting company. And that's The Man from Homicide with the Lucille Forbes case starring Dan Durier from September 17, 1951, is heard on ABC. All right, it's time now for Our Miss Brooks, a great comedy series that came to radio in 1948. Eve Arden starred as ninth grade English teacher Connie Brooks. She worked at Madison High School. Of course, her principal, Osgood Conklin, was played by Gail Gordon. And her favorite student, Walter Denton, was played by Richard Crenna. Now, you know who she was madly in love with, Lisa Wolf? She was madly in love with biology teacher Philip Boynton, played by Jeff Chandler. Now, this series moved to television in 1952, had a long run on TV as well. So, very popular radio and TV comedy. There were some films as well. Let's go back now to November 14, 1948, for Babysitting Overnight. Eve Arden stars part one of Our Miss Brooks. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Although Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High, her problems, like those of any other teacher, aren't always confined to purely scholastic ones. There's Mr. Philip Boynton, for instance, a biology teacher of whom Miss Brooks is extremely fond. And who, in return, lavishes his affection upon his frogs and guinea pigs. And there have been other problems, too. 
A perfect example of what I'm talking about occurred last Sunday. A grand illustration of what can happen when you let a little softness of the heart spread to your head. The day started off innocently enough when my landlady, Mrs. Davis, knocked on my door around 9.30 in the morning. Connie! Oh, Connie! Get up, Connie. It's 9.30. Oh, come on in, Mrs. Davis. I don't like to disturb you like this on Sunday. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. I've been up. Since when? Since you said, Connie, oh, Connie, get up, Connie, it's 9.30. Well, I got your note to wake you, dear. I'm glad you did, Mrs. Davis. I've got to do a little checking today on one of my pupils who's been absent all week, Eddie Garson. But, Connie, today's Sunday. I know, Mrs. Davis, but Eddie's always had such a good record of attendance. I just can't understand it. His mother hasn't answered any of my notes, and by tomorrow, Mr. Conklin will send a truant officer after him. I'm going over to his house today and investigate. It's very nice of you to take such an interest in the boy, Connie. Well, I feel it's my duty to go to Eddie's home, Mrs. Davis. He's always been a good student, well-behaved, with a fine character, and he lives four doors from Mr. Boynton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see. Connie, did Mr. Boynton ask you for a date? Well, how could he, Mrs. Davis? I haven't asked him to yet. (laughs) But if I can straighten out Eddie Garson in a hurry, I might accidentally run into Mr. Boynton. I'm perfectly willing to meet him halfway. Of course, if his door opens outward, I'm liable to get a broken nose. (laughs) But I understand that Mr. Boynton likes to take his Sunday morning constitutional by himself. Well, that's what's nice about a constitutional. You can always amend it. Coming. Miss Brooks. May I come in, Eddie? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Sit down, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Eddie. I'm glad to see you're not sick. I came over to find out why you haven't been in school all week. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I've been pretty busy. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now. (laughs) You know, it's no joke trying to raise kids. Kids? But you're only 14 years old yourself. Well, that's what makes it so tough. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now. I've been taking care of my kid brothers, Miss Brooks. You see, my father's on the road and my mother's in the hospital. Oh, I'm sorry, Eddie. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, there sure is, Miss Brooks. Mom's over in the Clay City Hospital, and I'd like to hitch a ride out and see her today. If there was only someone to stay with the kids. Well... You will? Oh, gee, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, Daddy, will you come here? What do you want, Eddie? This is Miss Brooks. She's my English teacher at school. Oh. (laughs) I'm uh, glad to know you, too, Mike. And this is Danny. Say hello to Miss Brooks, Danny. Hello. (laughs) Now, there won't be any trouble at all, Miss Brooks. In fact, they'll give you all the help you need. Help? Well, yeah, with Tommy, the baby. Help? (laughs) Well, I'll be running along now. I'll be home in time for dinner. Thanks a million. So long. Well... Here we are. (laughs) I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. (laughs) Well, you'll have to wait. (laughs) Oh, on second thought, maybe you two other two better wait. (laughs) Oh, quiet, baby. Nice, baby. Your mother will be home soon. Oh, dear. How does your mother keep him quiet? You gotta tell him a story. Yeah, you gotta tell him a story. All right, I'll tell you a story. (laughs) Once upon a time... (laughs) He heard that one. 
seems pretty blasé for a child his age. Anyway, once there were three bears. You gonna tell him that old chestnut? <laughs> Give her a chance, Danny. She might put a switch on it. And so Snow White and the Prince lived happily ever after. I'm glad for him. I wonder why Eddie ain't home. You wonder why Eddie ain't home? Some English teacher. <laughs> never in my life hit a child, and this is the first time I ever wondered why. <laughs> Eddie should have been back by now, though. It's after seven. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'll get you something to eat and drink in a minute. <laughs> Quiet, Tommy. Now, once there was a girl named Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, great. Whose father was a traveling salesman. <laughs> And the glass slipper fit right over Cinderella's foot. Ooh, well, thank goodness they're all asleep. Now, if I only knew where Eddie was. Oh, shh. Hello? Hello, Miss Brooks. Well, gee, I had a wonderful visit with my mother, thanks to you. Oh, I'm glad, Eddie, but where are you now? Well, I'm still in Clay City, Miss Brooks, with some friends and mothers. The doctor said she can go home tomorrow, and if you'll just stay with the kids overnight... Oh, but Eddie, I haven't got any... Uh... We're one of mother's. Well, gee, I sure appreciate this, Miss Brooks. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, well, it's in a good cause. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Once there were three little pigs. Let's not bring personalities into this. <laughs> I'm thirsty. Well, come on. Drop the other shoe. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> now, once there was a big giant. Oh, what a horrible night. Let's see now. I better see what's in the kitchen before hungry, thirsty, and screamy wake up. <laughs> oh, there's not a thing in the cupboards. I better call Mrs. Davis. If they'll only stay quiet for a few more minutes. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Davis. This is Connie. Connie, I've been worried sick. Where in the world have you been? I have no time to explain now, but I want you to do me a favor. When Walter Denton comes by to take me to school, send him over to 225 Park Street. 225 Park Street? Yes, Mrs. Davis. I can't make it to school today. But, Connie... I'll tell you all about it when I see you. Hmm, this is mysterious. Not going to school on Monday morning. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. I'll just tell him that Connie is sick and... Hello? Hello. Is that you, Osgood? This is Mr. Conklin speaking. Yes. This is Margaret Davis Osgood, and I just want to tell you that Miss Brooks won't be in school today. She doesn't feel well. Doesn't feel well? What's the matter with her? I really don't know, Osgood. I just know she's quite indisposed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Mrs. Davis. I always get indisposed on Monday. <laughs> What's that, Osgood? Tell Miss Brooks to take care of herself. Goodbye. He didn't sound very concerned. If I were you, Connie, I wouldn't go in until I... Well, who am I talking to? She's not even home. What are we going to eat, Miss 
Brooks? As soon as I send one of my students to the store, Mike. You playing hooky today, Miss Brooks? I guess I'll have to until your brother Eddie comes home. Say, that reminds me. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. What'll I tell him? I can't explain about Eddie on the phone. Besides, there's no proof of his story until his mother comes back. I wish you'd talk to us for a while. You're making me very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Danny. I know what I'll do. I'll make believe I'm Mrs. Davis and tell him I'm sick. Hello? Hello, Mr. Conklin. This is Mrs. Davis. Margaret? Yes, I just wanted to tell you that Miss Brooks doesn't feel very well. What's the matter? Has she taken a turn for the worse? Who? Miss Brooks. Yes? Oh, well, that is, she's no worse than she's ever been. Have you had a doctor? Yes, but how did you know she was sick? You just told me a few minutes ago. I did? Oh, of course I did. Well, I'm, I'm terribly upset about this. Now, for heaven's sake, Margaret, don't go to pieces. Oh, quiet, Margaret. I mean, Tommy. I mean, oh, I'll be all right. Uh, Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. I wish my mother was here. I want my back to Our Miss Brooks, where we find Walter Denton and Harriet Conklin listening to the radio in Walter's car. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our newscast from our nation's capital. I think they're going to give another clue for the $18,000 contest on Sing It Again. Okay, Harriet. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your extra clue to the Phantom Voice on the CBS Sing It Again program. At camp, his father was a king who spent some time at lumbering. Okay, Walter, you can turn it off now. Boy, I'd sure like to win those prizes. At camp, his father was a king. Uh, what was the second line, Harriet? The second line? Da-da, 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 da-da. Oh. <laughs> it was nice of you to give me a ride this morning, Walter. Oh, that's all right, Harriet. If I were the principal's daughter and you were me, you'd give me a ride if my father drove off to school early in the morning without me this morning, wouldn't you? <laughs> You mean the only reason you stopped for me is because of my father? Oh, of course that's not what I mean. I I thought you might want to ride over and pick up Miss Brooks with me. Mrs. Davis was pretty mysterious about her. Said she hadn't been home all night. Where did Mrs. Davis say Miss Brooks was, Walter? 225 Park Street. Park Street? Doesn't Mr. Boynton live on Park Street? Yeah, come to think of it, he does. (laughs) Walter... Remember that picture we saw last week? The one called Her Other Life? Yeah, Harriet. Maybe Miss Brooks has another life. Who knows? She might even be secretly married. Miss Brooks? Married? To who? (laughs) Why, to Mr. Boynton, of course. I don't be silly, Harriet. Mr. Boynton doesn't like girls. He likes frogs. (laughs) But it's a wonder I didn't think of it before. Why, they might even have a family by now. That's just like a woman, always giving people families. (laughs) Well, this is Park Street, and there's Miss Brooks in front of that house. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Here we are. Hello, Walter. Harriet, I'm glad you could... Harriet, I didn't know you'd be along. But now that you are, I've got to take you into my confidence. 
Harriet, can you keep a secret? Oh, certainly, Miss Brooks. Even from your father? Especially from my father. Oh, good. Then I don't want either of you to mention that you saw me here. You see, I told Mr. Conklin that I was sick, and, well, I'll explain it all later, but right now you've got to go to the grocery store for me. Well, what is it you're going to explain later, Miss Brooks? That's the secret, Walter. Just take this list and this money and have them send these groceries out as soon as possible. The address is right on the bottom of the list. Well, okay, Miss Brooks, but there sure is something funny going on. Why, there's nothing funny about it at all, Walter. Good day, Miss Brooks, and, and give my regards to the children. Thank you, Harriet, I will. What? <laughs> That's the first portion of Our Miss Brooks. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Then Gene Autry's Melody Ranch comes your way. Good Western adventure with some musical fun. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then. <laughs> 